Peter, what is, who are the Ailatia? We're a, a group of academics who are in, um, primarily based and working in initial teacher education. There's 26 of us at the last count nationally, six at the maximum of us represented in schools and faculties of education. We see ourselves and our work is really um, crucial in terms of closing the gap. Education is always left off the Closing the Gap initiatives um, and we're, we're always talking about how do we get more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples into teacher education to become teachers. The attrition rate is so woefully high because of burnout um, and I know a lot of us who are working in faculties of education are trying to equip and uh, give skills to non-Indigenous teachers and give them the confidence to actually um, to work in this space. So there's only six of you in the teacher education faculties around the nation. Is that enough? It is actually not enough, um, but this is also indicative of a, a larger um, university's approach. I think um, there is still we're still at that point where we're trying to get graduates in, but we're forgetting the back end in terms of building um, the academic workforce and uh, having more um, education academics with PhDs um, and who are influencing curriculum, who are doing research. One of the things that also is driving the um, the formation of our association is to start building a body of research that is firmly located in what we say is Indigenous education, which, which sits outside of Indigenous studies. Now, Indigenous studies is uh, socio-historical or anthropological, and that's the tradition of, I guess, I guess, a lot of the knowledge within Australia sits. We see ourselves firmly as a uh, specialist knowledge group, uh, we would argue that just as, or even more important than, uh, Indigenous, the Indigenous Doctors Association, So, because without teachers, you can't get doctors, um, we have specialist knowledge in terms of curriculum and pedagogy. How, in a very practical sense, might that apply? Like, what would you do differently from, say, someone generally teaching sort of more anthropological Indigenous studies? Yeah, so what, for example, uh, you might have a grade two class and it could be as simple as how do I choose a age-appropriate, culturally appropriate resource for my class? Uh, it may be from the Northern Territory, you know, this book, uh, The Wonderful Honey Ant Readers, uh, are a great resource for lower primary. They're from the Northern Territory, and, but then again, all around the country. But if you're teaching in a place like uh, the Mornington Peninsula, how are we actually using this book with our learners in our classroom to give them an idea that the Aboriginal community is very big and there are many different nations within that, just from this one storybook? So these are some of the things that uh, we're trying to, to build into our curriculum. And it's quite simple once we, we get the, um, the steps uh, involved in terms of pedagogical practice. The other thing about this is simple things like giving 
Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people personhood. A classroom strategy is saying Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, sometimes we always, teachers will talk about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the Aborigines. They are. So you're othering. A simple strategy for our children in our classes fits within civics and citizenship. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. That's just an example. Mm, so you're um, actually not lumping everyone into the same bucket. Exactly. Indigenous education within Australia is that it doesn't sit within inclusive education as such, because that, that means that we will never part, we will never hear. The, our foundation is the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Uh, particularly, I think it's Article 14, which talks about self-determination of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and First Nations peoples in education, in you know engagement, curriculum development, all of these sorts of things, and to have the best that education has to offer everybody. So one of the you know, obviously the major aim of Matt City is to encourage more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander teachers into schools who would have to go through the academy to get there, yeah. and you're in that. What about all those non-Indigenous teachers actually learning more about their, the Aboriginal heritage and Torres Strait Islander heritage of this country and current practice? How important is that in terms of what you're doing in, in teacher education in the universities? I, I think this is um, really important because with uh, you know, all of these new systems uh, level ideas coming down like the national curriculum uh, where I'm in Victoria, the um, Victorian curriculum, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, histories, life, ways and cultures are firmly embedded within the curriculum, across the curriculum um, as priorities. But what we found is that teachers don't know how to engage with it. So what part of my work is, and I know a lot of the other members in the associations, how are we getting non-Indigenous teachers comfortable and confident and competent to teach in this space, particularly to getting them to a point around the AITSL standards. Now the AITSL standards focuses on you know, teaching strategies for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander learners, which is 1.4. Now this actually lets teachers off the hook a little bit if they do not have Aboriginal learners in their classrooms. What we try to do, I know for my own practice in my own faculty, is we change that and we add, we add to that one statement, we also add teaching strategies for teaching Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal students about Aboriginal histories, life, ways and cultures. So it's much more inclusive, it's for everybody. Um, and so we go through a set of um, a 12 week course in terms of how are we getting teachers, it's really about comfortable. Part of my job is actually undoing what these students have actually learnt in their own secondary and primary schools uh, experiences. What sorts of things? So my, the very first activity I do with my students is how do you know what you know about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and where did you learn it? So, you know, we, we do a whole activity on this and the interesting things that come up, so where did you learn it, was art, history, um, dance, PE with sports, um, you know, players, 
So we're, we're losing, there's a, there's a superficial knowledge, but not depth. So we're actually giving these students depth because, you know, how can you build in aspects of uh, Indigenous life ways within the maths curriculum? We point them to the um, Indigenous Maths Association. Wonderful resources. Or how do I build things into physics? We say, okay, what did David Unipen do as a lesson who's on the $50 note? It, it, so it, it's sort of directing teachers to think outside the box of what they've already learnt in terms of thinking smarter and making a habit. Not just going to um, the first thing that comes up on Google. To actually trust in their training. To trust that what they've learnt in a faculty of education in terms of multiple intelligences, all of these sorts of things, they actually apply to Aboriginal students as well. There's a mythology that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students think differently or learn differently. No, it's actually the skill of the teacher to engage all students. How important is it to give, I guess, permission in a sense for non-Indigenous teachers to teach Indigenous subjects? Well, I think, okay, I, I, to be a little bit political, firstly, if you're teaching in, in a, the public school system and you're taking money from the federal government, then you have to do it. It's what it is. You should not be taking the money or be paid a wage if you're not fulfilling your role as an educator, as a teacher. Um, it's not an add-on. It's something that you have to do. And you have to do well. Um, so that, I guess that's my answer there, but it's, it's really, you need to have the skills between what is Indigenous studies, which is the body of knowledge you can teach, and what is Indigenous culture. I, I, I sort of liken it, Indigenous culture almost as religion. We don't teach religions in schools. We get people to do that, and we know the parameters of when to get people in around those sorts of things that we, we do not teach in schools. This is exactly the same. So when do I, when, what's the line between Indigenous studies and when do I have to bring somebody in who has cultural knowledge? And the big thing is around that is, how am I paying this person at the school level? They're not doing it for love anymore. Um, so you really have to build up your student's sequence of learning to actually have somebody come in and talk. So just bringing in the local elder isn't enough? No, it's not enough. I mean, it's, um, it, there has to be a reason. And I think this is something that um, the profession has been a little bit lazy about. But then again, there's no, has not been very much direction. As I said, there's very few of us in the academy who are giving some sort of direction. Um, and, and this is also for um, academic staff within uh, education faculties, because we're all siloed and very specific you know, you're either a literacy specialist or, you know, music specialist. And you, these, these are skills that they need as well to actually be able to model for uh, their learners in their, in their lectures and their tutorials. If you had your top three things you'd like deans of education to do, what would they be? What are they? The top, my top three would be to um, really trust your Aboriginal staff. Um, just like the deans, we are teachers and we do want to see the best thing for all of our learners. Um, I think there needs to be that support by deans and mentoring um, 
because within the space, the Aboriginal agenda or Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander agenda or the Indigenous agenda is always reactive. We're always reacting to a problem, we're reacting to a new initiative. We need to build this in structures, structurally, um, that it just becomes part of the fabric of a faculty or school. Um, I think that's my first one. My second um, one would be around would be around how are we equipping our teachers or to go, for example, on professional placements. Um, we need to, to give them the skills that uh, Indigenous education is actually a very specialist area, particularly in remote communities. Uh, and that's also part of workforce development as a whole. Um, the third point would be, I would like the deans and schools of education to actually embrace a rights-based agenda for the delivery of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander business, firmly rooted in the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. It's not very hard. Um, as practitioners, we all subscribe to the rights of the child as part of our everyday work. This is something that just goes alongside that, sits very nicely, and it informs a lot of our work. It informs the um, National Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Higher Education Consortium. Uh, so a lot of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander groups use this as a foundation in terms of how we do business. I think it's imperative that schools of education, faculties of education actually has this as part of the core business because it sets out how schools and faculties are then engaging and building partnerships with community organisations, engaging with families and caregivers, engaging with um, associations like ours. Uh, it, really is a good lever in terms of how we, how it is and are schools of education and faculties really committed to this. It's a very good, simple document to actually understand it, to have at the basis of your practice. Have you seen a good deal of cultural change in the last four years, particularly while Matt Sihi's been running? And if so, what have you seen? What, have I, what I've seen is that through Matt Seedy, the wonderful Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander educators that I meet at conferences, um, it has invigorated the, the profession. There's excitement about wanting to be a teacher. There's excitement that there is a national network, that you're not the lone teacher out wherever you are. Um, you can now, you know, send somebody an email. What are you doing? Have you done this? It's 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 amazing the the networking, um, and to actually see students who actually are being, I guess, exposed to people um, like people in the, my association, people like Peter Buckskin, people like Kay Price, who have all forged the way. Um, historically in education and, and so it, it's good for students to actually say okay these are the legacy and this is what I do and this is my profession I can be proud of my profession
I can be proud of um, that I'm actually changing because education was one of the main ways in which the colonial government, particularly Governor Macquarie, has written you know, around assimilation. He's written it in the founding of New South Wales that this is what education will do. It will assimilate Aboriginal people. And to now have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander teachers in our profession turning that completely around is, is absolutely wonderful. And through Matt Seedy, it's great. What would be your hope in, say, 10 years? What would be the change, you know, the very concrete changes you'd like to see in place? I will know when my job's done is when I don't have to teach this anymore. When I don't have to be here and I can go back to researching, I don't know, my big toe, I, my job is done. I, I can go back to my cognate area of, you know, school leadership and there's no need to actually have Aboriginal education as such in the curriculum because it's just a matter of it's been done. It's just part of the it's fabric. It's part of the fabric of, of it. I think it's done. Um, but in 10 years, I'd like to actually have more teachers. I'd like to give away some of my bursaries that I have, which are very hard to give away. Um, I'd like to have more academics in this space. I'd like to have at least, at least two special editions of a journal of Indigenous Ed. That, um, you know. And what would be your hope for in terms of strengthening the existing teacher workforce and the types of students who are going as graduating as new teachers? That graduating new teachers um, are actually then going back and, and being the force of change, confident in terms of how they're building their curriculum, responsive to the national curriculum and the Indigenous agenda that's built in. Um, because we're, we're seeing this dynamic shift. I know in Victoria I have 500 students come through my, my unit. I'm, very, I'm a very patient man. 500 a year, you know, <laughs> um, over 10 years. There's a lot of people, it's a critical mass of um, students who are going into the workforce. And I think that's very heartening that I've got non-Indigenous teachers who are supporting, just as a matter of course, Indigenous teachers. My hope is that an Indigenous teacher, for example, a maths teacher, can just be a maths teacher. They're not the go-to person in the school for everything Indigenous. Behaviour, NAIDOC week, everything. They just want to be a maths teacher because they love maths for some reason. That's my, my hope. What about the existing workforce, the changes that are needed there? I think the changes in the workforce now, there, there's a dire, dire, urgent need for um, professional development in this space, uh, particularly around the ATSOR standards. Teachers are very resistant um, to areas that are unknown, areas that are going to take up, add extra to a really stretched day as it is. We need something that is, you know, uh, empowering them, um, that they can see tangible outcomes that are practical. Uh, and to build their confidence and capacity, I think, and to empower them to work in this space, to engage in this space. Because I think there's a, a knowing disempowerment, I guess. You know, they just, it's too hard, so I'm not going to do it, you know. And so therefore they say they're disempowered, but really they just don't know how to engage. So they need practical tools. How much do you think, first of all, the three R's website will help that? 
I think the Three R's website will be fantastic. It's practical. It's step by step. It, it's very methodical in terms of building your professional knowledge. It starts off with, you know, a bit of a self audit. How do you know what you know already? And then you can build on that. And it's not completely theory based. It's practical skills based knowledge that is credible written by Aboriginal people in conjunction with non-Aboriginal people. It, so it, it's a really good um, website to be looking at and to be engaging with. And I, I would urge everyone to to have a go, have a, have a look at it, see, you know, if you can build it into your PD with your school. Make time, you know, engage with it. It's um, an enjoyable experience. And if they want to go beyond what's on the Three Hours website, what's available? What's available? At the moment, there's not quite a lot that is available. Um, there has been some work done. I know that my, myself, my university, Monash University, Edith Cowan University and Charles Sturt uh, were contracted to develop six modules for professional development through AITSL. So I would like to see that uh, rolled out, ready to go. It's ready to go. Um, so I think there's so much work that's been done that if we can bring it all together and start um, operationalizing it, because this is something, these are some of the, what I would call, and I, and I call it at a systems level, these are some of the racist tropes that play out in education. That we do a lot of these things, but we take them, no, we say, okay, we've done that for the Aborigines, but we're not taking it to that next level. We can spend all of this money and we say, the way that we let ourselves off the hook is that we say, well, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, nobody had, has engaged, therefore it didn't work. But we haven't actually pushed it. So this, I think this is that next challenge I, that I put out there to um, our profession, is take that next, next step. Don't play into the racist tropes that have got us to this point in time, in our history. The work's done, there's wonderful people out there to work with, the will's there. It's just that next step to, to actually be courageous to do it.